Well, this morning as we continue in our series through the book of Acts, a series we're calling Unstoppable, Daring to Be the Church on Mission, I want to begin with an exercise. And so I want you to imagine with me. Have you, how many have played an imagination game? All right, we're going to do an exercise of the mind, and I want you to imagine with me what the perfect church would look like. What would it look like to you? The perfect church. What would the music sound like? What would the preaching sound like? What would the kids' ministries look like and the youth ministry look like? In fact, what, what would the people be like? The perfect church. What would it look like to you? Well, someone once said, if you ever find the perfect church, please don't join it because then you will spoil it. Or as someone else put it, to dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's a different story. The fact of the matter is, there is no perfect church, is there? True, some churches are worse than others, but if you stick around any church long enough, you are sure to find that there are flaws with it. There are problems with every church And that's true even for our church here at Glenwood. We are certainly not a perfect church. I know, because I know the pastor pretty well. And he's not perfect. In fact, get two people in a room together, and eventually there will be a problem. Get one... Ten people in a room together and dozens of problems will spring up. Get a hundred people in a room together and let me tell you, unity becomes as delicate as dried leaves in October. So what about a few thousand people then? By Acts 6. By this time in Acts 6, the early church was made up of several thousand people. By this point, the Jerusalem church has grown Some scholars estimate as many as 20,000 people. And they're worshiping together, they're praying together, and they're doing life together as they boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And although they met together in several smaller house churches, they are still one body daring to be on mission, being the church on mission for Christ. One history professor at Yale said this about the early church. Never in so short a time has any other religious faith, or for that matter, any other set of ideas, religious, political, or economic, ever achieved so commanding a position in such an important culture without aid of physical force or social or cultural prestige. In other words, what he is saying, basically this, without saying it, God was working in powerful ways to grow his church here in the book of Acts. It was growing big time. His church was unstoppable, as we saw last Sunday, and as we have seen in our series so far. And yet, and yet, the early church here in Jerusalem was not a perfect church. We've already seen the problem of hypocrisy surface in the church with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And now Luke shows us here in Acts chapter 6 another problem that occurred in the midst of this phenomenal growth in the church of Jerusalem. A conflict arose that threatened to split the church and sabotage the mission of God. Of course, we know that Satan was at work behind the scenes. Satan is at work here and he's trying to stop the church 
from accomplishing its mission. And so what we see here in the beginning of Acts chapter 6 is another attack on the church. Satan attempts another attack on the church that threatens the mission of the church. Having failed to stop the church in its mission by corruption, by persecution, Satan now tries division within the church. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, look at it with me one more time. It says, now in those days, you say, what days? Well, the days of the early church at Jerusalem. And then Luke gives us the context. When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring. Suddenly, this remarkable, growing church was faced with division and dissension among its members. Satan was using the same strategy the Romans used. Divide and conquer. And in the world of empire building, the Romans knew the force of it all too well. Unfortunately, countless churches have been destroyed by the same strategy. Satan has used this strategy more than once in the life and history of the church. In fact, nothing is used by Satan more effectively than division, dissension, and disunity in the church. In Acts 6 here describes such a situation in the early church here in Jerusalem that threatened to derail the church from its mission. But Luke also shows us the positive side of this. Luke shows us how the early church overcame these obstacles to the mission and how the mission continued, how it increased, it expanded even. In the end, the church triumphed over these obstacles. And so we're going to see both the positive and the negative here. Look at it. Overcoming obstacles to the mission. Number one, the mission of the church is endangered by conflict. It's endangered by conflict. Now, conflict is nothing new among people. I'm sure you've been a part of a conflict situation in your own life. If you're married, you certainly have. If you have kids, you certainly have. If you work, you certainly have. If you live next door to anybody, you certainly have. Basically, if you are alive, you've been a part of conflict. It's nothing new among people, especially when people are ruled by self and sin. Conflict just happens naturally because of that. What's new is this is the first time that the mission of the early church is endangered by conflict in the church. This conflict surfaced over the widows of, of the church who lived in Jerusalem. Look what Luke writes in verse 1 again, continuing on. He says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. And here's the surface. Here's the context. Here's the conflict. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So here's the essence. We could summarize it this way. Of the conflict or the problem in the Jerusalem church. A group of widows in the church were neglected in the daily distribution of the food or perhaps even monetary, even of money, but more likely it was the distribution of food. Now this neglect of caring for the widows in the church was no small thing. Widows in that day and age, in that culture, in that society, had nobody to stand up for them. Their chance of remarriage was slim, and their income was minimal. And there was no state or social service to help. 
And so helping widows in an age where government social programs were non-existent was a matter of religious responsibility that the Jews took very serious. In fact, you can go all the way back to the Old Testament. And there the Old Testament demanded such care when Moses explained that God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And then Moses exhorted the Jewish people to do the same thing. Later on in the New Testament, the church even began to make lists of those widows who were qualified for help in the church. Qualified for financial assistance and food distribution. You can read about that in 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. And so while this neglect of caring for widows was a very legitimate problem, concern, I also believe it was unintentional. In fact, in many ways, this problem was basically the result of the early church growing so fast. Earlier in Acts chapter 4, Luke told us that due to the church's generosity, that there was not one person among them who was in need. In other words, in the Acts chapter 4, you go back and read it, due to the generosity of the people given, they were selling their possessions, their lands, and they were distributing to people as had need, so that nobody was lacking. So the church, listen, the church was taking care of its own people. And the apostles were responsible for distributing to people as they had need. However, we now learn here in Acts chapter 5, or before this here in Acts 5, that the multitudes of men and women had been added to the church. In other words, the church was growing, and it was growing and multiplying, making it difficult for the apostles to, to juggle all of these responsibilities. And somewhere along the way, a group of widows got neglected in the daily distribution of food. So you could almost say that the success of the church here in Jerusalem was actually the source of the problem here in Jerusalem. Did you notice the context, though? in which this conflict arose. Luke says, now in the days when the number of disciples was multiplying. Now that's a good thing, isn't it? The Jerusalem church was experiencing some growing pains at this point in its history. And this was making it difficult for the apostles to minister to everybody in the church. And consequently, a conflict surfaced that threatened the very mission of the church. In fact, this conflict posed a two-sided threat to the mission. I want us to look at this in detail here. Notice the first one. The church faced the threat of division. The church faced the threat of division between two groups of people in the church, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. Luke 1 again says there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. And although the early church was entirely Jewish, it was made up of two different groups of Jews, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. And right now you're asking me, because I ask myself, who are the Hebrews and who are the Hellenists? Well, let me give you a brief background on them. The Hebrews were Jews who understood some Greek. In fact, they probably spoke a little Greek even, but they spoke Aramaic as their main language. What really makes them stand out is they were born and raised in Israel. Uh, they were native Jews, if you will. 
They were native to the land, and they knew the customs of the synagogue intimately. They were Hebrew Jews through and through. By contrast, the Hellenists were Jews who spoke only Greek as their main language because they had been born and raised outside of the land of Israel, outside of Judea, outside of Jerusalem, which was at that time dominated by Greek culture. Therefore, their thought process, their thinking, their culture was not Hebraic, it was Grecian. In fact, the Pharisees, what's interesting, the Pharisees, you've heard of that group of people, they held the, the Hellenistic Jews in utter contempt. And they considered them second-class Jews because they were, quote, the outsiders. But then came Pentecost. Remember Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? And thousands of Hebrews and Hundreds of Hellenists became one in Christ when the Holy Spirit came. And when they entered the church, let me tell you, each group brought their culture with them into the church. However, conversion to Christ, as wonderful as it is, did not erase all their prejudices. Given this clash of cultures, this was a recipe for trouble that Satan used to divide the church. Well, as long as things were going well in the church, listen, these differences could be overlooked. But as soon as there was a glitch in caring for the widows, a conflict surfaced. The Hellenist widows soon felt that they were being shorted in the distribution of food. Perhaps when the Hebrew widows received two loaves of bread, the Hellenist widows only got one, or even none. And as you might imagine, this conflict quickly turned personal and even racial in nature when Luke says there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now this is a pretty dangerous conflict because there's an edge to this. An edge that is threatening to divide the church. First, there's a racial edge to it. When the Hellenists assign motive Luke says they murmured against the Hebrews. In other words, they assumed the Hebrews were leaving them out for racial and cultural reasons, and they were doing it on purpose because of their ethnicity, their cultural background. And second, there's a malicious edge to it here, when Luke says there arose a murmuring, which implies there was backbiting and slander going on in house churches all across Jerusalem that finally surfaced. And so you're probably having talk going on. It says, oh, you know, they don't care about us anymore. Those apostles, I can't believe Peter. He's not looking out for us. They don't care about us. By the way, it's interesting to note that the Hellenists, this minority group in the church, the Hellenists, nor the widows who were neglected, it's interesting to note, they never brought the problem to the apostles. They just murmured about it, complained about it, grumbled about it. And they were grumbling, complaining, and murmuring to the wrong people. This is significant here in the church in Jerusalem. A spirit of complaining and grumbling kills more churches than persecution. Do you understand that when you murmur against your brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially when you judge their motives, you are being used by Satan to divide God's church. 
It was murmuring that almost crippled the people of God back in the Old Testament during the time of Moses. Remember that story? They grumbled at his leadership. They grumbled at the cuisine. They grumbled at the hot desert conditions. They grumbled about everything. And finally, God said, I've had enough with it. And now murmuring was threatening to cripple the people of God here in Acts. A strategy that had been so alarmingly successful in the past is now being used again by Satan. Could the church survive? Could it survive this sudden threat of division and dissension? It sounded like a recipe for a church split. No wonder Jesus prayed when he was toward the end of his life, before his crucifixion. You go to John 17, and they're in the upper room with his disciples, and no wonder he prays for that group of disciples there that they may be one as we are one. Speaking of the Trinity. Oh, that we would protect, that we would guard, and we would beg God to guard the unity of our church here at Glenwood. But there was another threat that was facing the church at Jerusalem. It was not just a threat of division, as serious as that is within this church. There was a second threat that was just as serious as well. That is the threat of diversion among the twelve apostles. This second threat is what would happen if the conflict, the problem of the widows being neglected, were not solved in the right way. You can see this clearly in verse 2. Look what it says. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples. In other words, they summoned the whole church. And said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now that sounds like a defense, doesn't it? We don't know for sure, but I can only imagine evidently some people suggested that it would be a good idea if the apostles gave more hands-on time to this problem of neglected widows. In other words... There was probably a group of people in the church suggesting that the apostles just needed to spend more time serving more tables of more widows. That's the solution to the problem, to the conflict. Now on the surface, that sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? But serving tables would have diverted the apostles from their ministry of the word. In fact, serving tables would have actually caused the apostles themselves to disobey God's will. As they were first and foremost called to the ministry of the word and prayer. And anything that moved them away from that priority, no matter how good, no matter how noble, no matter how necessary it might be, was actually a diversion from their divine calling. One pastor and author puts it this way. In any church, there are many tasks that need to be done. It is tempting to say to the pastoral leadership, do a little of everything. That leads to spiritual disaster. When pastors do a little of everything, they end up doing a whole lot of nothing. Since the church is built upon the Word of God, pastors must devote themselves to the study and teaching of the Word to the congregation. I think that's right in the spirit of Acts chapter 6 here. Luke gives us, even, 
He gives us a, a very clear indication that the temptation to leave the ministry of the Word, to be diverted away from the ministry of the Word, to serve tables was a major threat to the mission of the church. In fact, he gives us that indication by, by linking two things for us here. And you notice it by linking the Word of God here in verse 2. It's mentioned in the Word of God that's mentioned in verse 7. In verse 2, Luke quotes the apostles as saying that leaving the Word of God would, in other words, it would be a grave mistake for them to do. And then in verse 7, Luke tells us the effect, the, apostle of the, the effect of the apostles not leaving the ministry of the Word of God. When he says, in the Word of God, notice the link there, spread. The Word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Here's Luke's point for us, is that the Word of God kept spreading and bearing fruit because the apostles did not make the mistake of leaving their focus on the Word to fix a pressing problem in the church. Luke is showing us that the major threat to the church's mission is whatever threatens the ministry of the Word. And in this case, it would have been something very good, right? Listen, caring for widows is noble. It's necessary, as we're going to see in a moment here. It's a good thing. It was not bad. And yet Luke is reminding us here that anything that diverts the apostles away from the ministry of the Word is a threat to the very mission that God had given to the church. However, that's only part of the story here in Acts chapter 6. While it's right for the apostles to devote themselves to the Word, we've still got a group of hungry widows to feed, right? So what do the apostles do about them? After all, if they aren't fed, there won't be, they won't be in any mood to listen to the apostles minister the Word, no matter how good it is. Well, that brings us to number two. The mission of the church is enhanced by teamwork. It's enhanced by teamwork. The apostles, they overcome both parts of the threat. And what are, what's the twofold threat? Division and diversion. Division within the church, diversion away from the ministry of the Word. They overcome both those threats by laying out a solution, get this, that actually enhanced the mission of the church. It's amazing. The apostles refused to assign blame and instead, they made the whole church part of the solution. I love what one commentator writes. He says, the solution to the problem facing the church was not to divide and have separate churches, one for the Hellenists and the other for the Hebrews. Rather, they sought to ensure that the Hellenists were cared for. And you say, how did they do that? Well, notice what the apostles' solution was in the next verses, 2 through 5. It says, in the 12, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said... It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, based on that, based on that priority, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But, here they're stating that priority of the word twice now. Two times they state it. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and the same please the whole multitude. Oh, oh, stop again. Stop right there. Stop the press. Did you catch that? Did you catch that last sentence? 
And the same pleased the whole multitude. You almost have to read it twice just to make sure you read it correctly the first time, don't you? And the same pleased the whole multitude. Now, that's astounding, isn't it? That's incredible. When's the last time you've seen something please everyone? Listen, it's a rare occasion when everyone in my family is pleased when we eat out on Friday nights as to where we're going to go. And we're only a family of four. Just this last Friday night, come home. Family, where do you want to eat? I got four different answers. You think all four of them were pleased at where we chose to eat? No way. It's a rare occasion when that happens. And yet, can you imagine pleasing everyone in a church of a hundred, let's say? Remember this, though, here in Acts chapter, this is a church of 20,000 people, perhaps, and yet the solution that is put forth by the disciples, the apostles, pleased the whole multitude. Whoa! Man, I, I'm blown away by I don't know. I'm, I'm blown away by that. Notice the solution. It's twofold. The solution pleased the whole church. First of all, the apostles declared that serving tables was a necessary and honorable ministry, but one better suited for the other people in the church. Now listen to me carefully here. Listen. When the apostles declared that serving tables was necessary, but one better suited for other people, they are not, listen to me, they are not saying this ministry to widows was unimportant. In fact, by placing such high standards for the seven men that were going to be responsible for it, tells us that the apostles thought this ministry was very important. In fact, the qualifications we'll look at next Sunday when we look at the Stephen, the man. When we look at him as an individual. Notice also, too, please understand, please hear me, the apostles certainly didn't think this ministry to the widows was beneath themselves and that they were too good to serve tables. That's not what they're saying here. It's not what they thought. The apostles thought of themselves as servant leaders. Remember, they were followers of whom? Jesus Christ, the one who washed their feet in the upper room. And so up to this point, you know what the apostles were doing? They were the ones serving tables of widows, distributing food to the widows. But now they realize, hey, the load is too heavy. This load is consuming too much of our time. And so the greatest act of service that they can provide the church is teaching the Word accurately, and seeking God in prayer on behalf of the church. So please, 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 do not think that the apostles are graduating out of service. Instead, instead, they are now focusing on the most effective kind of service that they've been called to, and that is ministry of the Word and prayer. But that means other people in the church have to step up have to step up to serve in this ministry to widows. And let me tell you, step up they did. Notice the second point. The apostles delegated the ministry to widows so they could devote themselves to the ministry of the word in prayer. The church chose seven men of impeccable character 
who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom to oversee this ministry to widows. Now, this list of men is unique in that all the names, get this, are Greek names, which means that the church, in selecting the men to oversee this, they actually chose men from within the Hellenist group, the minority group within the church. These men, no doubt, knew the widows personally. They would have the full trust of all the Hellenist believers within the church. And they would know how to handle any problems that might arise from this point forward. The apostles then confirm the church's selection by praying for them and laying hands on them. This commissioning, which our church is very familiar with, is not only a confirmation of these men, and it was a bestowal of the apostles' authority on these men, it's really also a celebration of teamwork within the church. And I love that. Because of teamwork, get this, now the widows are cared for, and the ministry of the Word was not forsaken. All because of teamwork. And both are utterly crucial. For either one, either one could have undermined the mission of the church and hindered its amazing growth. Which brings us to the church's triumph over this threatening obstacle. Number three, the mission of the church is expanded by God's grace. This is amazing. Look what Luke writes in verse 7 again. It says, And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's the effect of the church's triumph. You see it here. We can summarize it this way. God's word spread in influence, and God's church multiplied in numbers in the city of Jerusalem. Woohoo! right? Uh-oh. Woohoo! right? It's amazing. Listen, we ought to get excited about that just like we do the royals. Not the fighting so much, but you guys get it. Listen, the early church here, the early church here in Jerusalem had been tested. And it, it was a test that threatened to derail them from the mission that God had given them. But they passed the test by caring for the widows and guarding the word of God. And God honored this triumph with new power and fruitfulness. God's word spread and influence, and it grew like a living thing because God's word is living and active, is it not? According to Hebrews 4.12, listen, God's word is the power of God to salvation. And God's church multiplied in numbers with many more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And even, I love this little postscript by Luke here, he says, even a great many of the priests. Now why would Luke add that? Because it's interesting, you go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 1, and you'll know that the priests, now these weren't necessarily part of the echelon of the Sanhedrin, Sadducees, and the high priest area. They, these guys were the everyday workers in the temple. But even them, back in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, were hostile towards the disciples in the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now they, Luke says, are responding to God's word and obeying the faith. Unbelievable what's taking place here. Folks, listen to me. My prayer for our church, my prayer for Glenwood, is that no obstacle, whether outside the church or whether inside the church, will derail us from the mission of making Christ followers. 
would derail us from that mission right there. Because we are all about igniting a passion to follow Jesus Christ. We want to help and lead people to know Christ, to grow in Christ, to show Christ, and to follow Christ. That is the mission. And God forbid that anything, any obstacle outside the church or inside the church would derail us from that mission right there. That's what we pray for. That we would be a church on mission. A church that is unstoppable. That we will overcome the threat of any division in our church as well as any diversion away from God's Word. And that the same power that led to the Word spreading and disciples multiplying in Acts will do the same for our church here at Glenwood. So what do we learn from all this? What do we learn? What can we take away from the Jerusalem church for our church here at Glenwood? Well, let me just leave you with three thoughts here, three lessons. Number one, we see the importance of proper priorities in the ministry of the church. The apostles understood the importance of proper priorities. This is why they refused to leave their ministry in the Word and instead delegated the ministry to the widows or the ministry of the widows. And what seems harsh and uncaring on the surface was actually best for the whole church. I'm sure you've heard the saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now that's a whole lot easier to say, that little slogan, than it is to practice that little slogan. And in the church, we must constantly build everything upon God's word and prayer. When we do that, God blesses. When we forget that, the entire church suffers. And I'll be honest with you, I'm so grateful, so grateful to pastor a church that sees the priority of God's Word. It is a blessing. A church that gives me the opportunity to devote time each week to the ministry of the Word and prayer. I can't begin to share with you that blessing. And I don't feel this pressure, if you will, to divert away from that to meet all the needs in the church. Because I can't. Which brings us to number two. We see the impossibility of a few people doing all the ministry of the church. As great as the apostles were, were would, you, would you agree these dudes are, are some great people? They're apostles. I mean, they, I mean they're, they're pretty, pretty good. And yet they couldn't serve the word to the church and serve widows at the same time, as great as they were. And that is the same is true in every church today. No pastor can do it all. No pastor can do it all. Here at Glenwood, listen, I can preach and I can teach and I can work with our leadership council, work with our finance team and lead the staff. I can meet with people for discipleship and counseling. I can pray for the hurting. I can visit the sick. I can conduct funerals and weddings. I can take phone calls, answer emails and texts. I can meet with service people to keep with the maintenance of our church, which is galore. And I can do a few other things that don't come to mind right now. Listen, I can do all those things. And I stay plenty busy each week, but no matter how hard I work, I still can't preach and serve in the nursery at the same time. And although I wish I could play the drums, I just don't know how. Believe me, if I did, I'd sit there every morning and play them. 
And you should thank God that you don't have to listen to me sing in the praise team. My point is this. No matter how hard Pastor Chris and I work, we can't do all the ministry of the church. It is an impossibility. Therefore, many people are needed to serve in the church. Which brings us to the third point. We see the blessing of many people serving in the ministry of the church. Think about the early church here for a minute with me again here in Acts chapter 6. In the beginning of Acts 6, in the beginning there was conflict, a problem, because some widows are going hungry and their friends are upset about it. And this conflict threatens the very unity and mission of the church. But by the end of these seven verses... The conflict is resolved, and the mission continues. You say, how is that? Because the word is guarded, and the widows are fed, all because of teamwork by the church of Jerusalem. This is precisely how the body of Christ is supposed to function. No one does everything, but everyone does something. That's God's plan for the local church. What a blessing it is to Pastor Glenwood. A church where so many people are serving in ministry. You know what I can say? One, two words. It's just right now, for time's sake, just thank you. Thank you to all of you who serve on a weekly, regular, monthly basis in various ministries. All this leads me to ask, are you looking for a place to serve? Are you looking for a place to serve? Maybe you're here and you're not yet serving. Listen, we have various places for you to serve in ministry here at Glenwood. And I don't have time to go through all the places, but let me just emphasize a few that are on the back of your bulletin. First impressions team. Love this team. These are greeters and ushers. And they serve, they greet before our discovery hours, serve before the worship service, and then, of course, our ushers. And we even have, you know, coffee makers and servers. Aren't you grateful for the coffee that's made every Sunday morning? Amen, thank you, yes. And then we got Rick the Donut Man now. Love it. All right, First Impressions is a great team to get involved in. In fact, you don't even serve every week. It's on a rotation basis. Uh, how about the Milk and Honey Nursery? You can serve once a month during the worship service. We always are needing help to serve in the nursery, right, darling? She'll take you. She'll teach you how to change a diaper even, if you don't know how. Praise team. In all seriousness, do you know how to play the drums? I mean, if you know how to beat the drums, see Todd. We need a drum player. I wish I knew how, because I would play. Or if you have any other gifts, vocally or instrumentally, whatever the case may be. Or perhaps you want to serve in the media booth. Man, see myself, see Todd. Or lawn care. Uh, right now, George Dobbins mows our yard, but he needs help sometimes. A lot of times, right, George? Need some help, yeah. And so he mows on Friday mornings or Saturday mornings. Uh, or you want to get involved in kids' ministries. Make a difference with kids by serving in the promised land on Sunday morning or Awana Clubs and Trek on Wednesday nights. Uh, if any of these interest you, or maybe there's some other ministries that interest you, just fill out the communication card and indicate what ministry you're interested in serving in and someone will contact you. Listen, great lessons here from the church at Jerusalem. Amen? We need to take it to heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are breathless as we think of the potential of this church in Jerusalem to be imploded and destroyed by division and dissension. And yet your sovereign hand was upon them.
May your power be upon our church here at Glenwood. And by your grace, may we overcome any obstacles that threatens to derail us from the mission you have given us. Oh Lord, we ask that you would pour out your power and grace upon us for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one verse of invitation, but one of the applications that I did not bring out to maybe challenge us with now is this issue of murmuring, complaining, and grumbling. There was a problem. It was legitimate. And they murmured instead of addressing it in the right way. And perhaps there's a spirit of murmuring going on in your heart even now. I would ask you to deal with that before God. Take time as the praise team sings. Bring it before the Lord. Go to those who you need to go to. If you need to bring it to my attention, bring it to mine. Or Pastor Chris, whatever the case may be. As the praise team sings. <laughs>